Hey, fight fans, Couchside Judges here to kick off the week. I'm Scott Fontana, along with Dan Urban, ready to talk Saturday's cursed event from UFC Apex. We lost two middleweight bouts earlier in the day, one immediately before it was about to go off. We had fighters feigning before and after bouts, but in the end, what we got was one of the cleanest Judge Octagon events that I can remember. For once, Scott and I have almost nothing that needs much of a second look from a judging standpoint. We'll definitely look at Derek Brunson's third round TKO of Edmund Shabazian though. Both a closely contested first round and a stoppage which some felt wasn't as clean as it should have been. Plus, we're going to take a closer look at one fascinating prelim from Saturday in a special edition of Past Judgment. So Scott, Saturday we were pretty much in agreement with everything the judges turned in. Almost everything, man. I mean, you couldn't have gotten a much cleaner event. Now, it, I don't think it was maybe the hardest set of fights to judge, and there weren't too many, but credit where it's due. They, I think they got everything right, you know, and, and let's let's real quickly, before we go anywhere, I want to name check all nine judges that were active on Saturday. Derek Cleary, Saldi Amato, Dave Hagan, Mike Bell, Chris Lee, Tony Weeks, Junichiro Camillo, Eric Colon, and Ron McCarthy, all were awesome. Totally awesome. Great job. I wonder if the lesser workload uh, helped them out a little bit. You know, I, I don't think so because I think they did their best work in the early portion. And I mean, you've seen fights where, you know, sometimes it's the first few fights are the ones where the judging is the most weird. So I don't I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I think they just they got a set of fights there that weren't necessarily the most difficult to judge, but they did everything by the book. They did everything right. You know, Derek Leary, he worked, he had 10 rounds to score. You know, he was working hard. Sal Diamato had eight. This was obviously a smaller card, but I think they did a great job. Yeah, no one's going to say they didn't. No, and and that's that's a pretty rare thing in our sport, right? This is It's kind of a national pastime for us to bash the judges. Well, not us, but people. <laughs> Incredibly rare. Yeah, so it, it really was just wonderful. Nevada State Athletic Commission, they did an amazing job assembling a great lineup of judges as they have for these UFC Apex events. So, you know, credit where it's due. As far as the fights themselves that they totally nailed, Chris Gutierrez, Cody Durden getting the unanimous draw in the opener. The very first unanimous draw without point deductions in UFC history, according to uh, MMA decisions. That's so crazy to even fathom. How is that possible? Uh, it just doesn't happen all that often, I guess. But, you know, I think that that speaks in and of itself to the, the level of judging in the sport and the rarity of a fight like that. But now that we're at the point where we can get three judges who are all on the same page about something that's a little quirky, and, and that was really impressive. Nathan Manis, he got the unanimous decision nod 29-27 over Johnny Munoz. Munoz lost a point for low blows, so that's why it yeah. was kind of a weirder score. And very deservedly so that he lost those po- that he lost that point. Absolutely. Third time's the charm there. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately for, for Manus, he kind of almost got hit in the Manus there. <laughs> Jonathan Martinez over Frankie Science. He got the third round TKO, but in round one and two, everyone got it right. It was 20 to 17 going into round three with Martinez getting a 10, eight round two from everybody. And Vicente Luque, he got the first round of his second round KO against Randy Brown. No arguments there. These were, you don't get four fights very often in undisputed rounds for our purposes here. That was really impressive. Yeah, hardly ever. But it wasn't perfect. You know, there was some disagreement as as is kind of expected. You know, it can't be perfect all around. Talk about the main event here. 
Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian. Now, Brunson, of course, he got the third round TKO, and no one argues that he got a 10-8 in round two, but it's round one that the judges were split on, and you and I were as well. Yes, we were. So who did you have? I had it 10-9 for Brunson. And you were in the majority there because Sal Amato and Chris Lee, they both saw it the same way as you. Yeah, I just thought he was landing a bit better and a bit more often, even though it looked like he started the round in a sparring match. Like, he was not really putting much behind his strikes, but uh, he eventually picked it up. I think he was just kind of trying to wade in and feel it out. You know, that's, yeah. that's fair. I understand that in round one. Um, yeah, I mean, especially just a couple, just the first opening minutes. Not like you have to go. Yeah, that's and that's the thing with him. He's someone who's usually kind of zero to sixty in those first few minutes. So <laughs> it was clearly a concerted effort, and the commentary team obviously pointed this out as well. So anyone who watched, you heard that too. Uh, this isn't a, <laughs> this isn't some sort of original thought of mine, but nonetheless, uh, it was impressive to see. And I will say, when I watched this back again, I did see a much better argument for Brunson. Not that I didn't think it was close. But I think when you got that takedown factored in and the, the strikes that he was landing off that takedown, Brunson, I see the argument much better for Brunson. But I still went Shabazian, and I really thought that it was his strikes that were more effective, more impactful. They were strong. Was. They were definitely they strong. They were. He's a he's an ox strong kid as far as strikes. I just didn't think they were often enough. That's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, it was pretty close. Even by the numbers, it was pretty close. But yeah, it, it's hard to go wrong here. It obviously ended up not mattering, but I don't think anybody looking at this and saying, okay, it was two to one. Uh, Derek Cleary was the judge who agreed with me, by the way, on Shabazian. And a lot of people did too on, in the media. They seem to really think that Shabazian got that round one. But I have no problem with it being split there. It's as, it's not as close as it comes, but it was very close. Yeah, for sure that was close, but that wasn't really the most interesting thing to come out of this fight uh, officiating-wise. No, no, it wasn't. Uh Herb Dean, the referee, back under the microscope here uh, a week after the much-talked-about, much-maligned decision to let Francisco Trinaldo continue to hit Jai Herbert when he seemed to be out. And that obviously led to a lot of backlash. There was the the whole back-and-forth with Dan Hardy, a lot of uh, being kind of raked over the coals over the last week or so for Herb Dean. He's in this one again. However, I do have a bit of an issue with the stoppage, but... Only to a point, and especially because I had some very educational conversations today with some veteran officials who gave me some feedback before we recorded this. So, Dan, I hope you don't mind. I'm I'm just going to kind of take you through my way that I saw this, and I'll provide some feedback too. And you can certainly answer and tell me along the way, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take the lead here just to be able to inform people what I learned. All right, go for it. So, to me, at the end of round two, Shabazian he looked out at the belt. Because in the last five seconds, Brunson puts this flurry on when he's on top on the ground. And he'd already at this point kind of secured a 10-8. But he put this flurry on. And there are a few strikes they get through. And Shabazian, he's just kind of sitting on his back looking up with his hands out extended. Not really doing anything. And I don't see that as intelligent defense. He's, he's still moving, I guess. you know, But his hands, they're just not doing what you want them to do. So Herb Dean steps in to stop the round when the bell sounds. When he does this, he puts his arm out between Brunson and Shabazian, of course, protect Shabazian. Absolutely makes sense. The other hand is doing kind of this waving motion in front of Shabazian's face. It almost looks like something that's trying to indicate the fight is over. It's not the same hands above the head 
waving back and forth kind of thing that we you, we could picture referees doing, especially Herb Dean. I can certainly picture, but it was something that was just a little different. So when I watched this, that to me sort of said, "Hey, this is not usual usual hand gestures to say, okay, just the round's over." So I talked this over with some officials, like I mentioned, and I kind of got some interesting feedback that was saying, "Well, yes, maybe this wasn't." the typical procedure that you might see where Herb Dean waving the hand like that. At the end of the day, Herb's job is to prevent more damage to be done when that horn sounds. And that is the the main focus here is, you know, it's a snap judgment kind of thing. He may not be thinking necessarily about what his, what one hand is doing or the other. He really just wanted to make sure that Brunson didn't land any more punches in a situation that was very precarious for Shabazzian, of course. And that I understand. Yeah, to me, I never thought Shabazian was out, and I never got the sense that Herb was stopping the fight. I truly, I just never got that sense at all, uh, especially, you know, Shabazian answers the bell. So that's kind of, uh, I was like, oh, he's, I mean, obviously this is where Brunson put it on him and really took a 10-8, and had he had another, you know, a few more seconds, who knows, maybe he really does stop him, but. Sure, and but that didn't happen, of course, that's, yeah. But yeah, I get it. I, you know, when I watched it, the hand gesture, I it it didn't register with me the way it did with you. I kind of just, oh, end of the round. Here we go. I, di- I didn't really look into it a- as deep as you did. Okay. No, for me, though, and I was set right about this, too. Just the fact that, yes, absolutely, you do see Shabazian roll over to his belly, push himself up deliberately, slowly walk his way over to his stool. You do see him, as he tries to sit in the stool, He kind of falls back a little bit and his back hits the cage. But as it was pointed out to me, the stool was probably just a little farther away from the cage than it really ought to have been. So, you know, a fighter sits down, you know, maybe they're expecting to be able to have something behind them. If the stool is closer to the back of the cage, it makes more sense that he'd be able to lean there without falling over. And he does catch himself on his own. You do need need some lumbar support. Yeah, yeah. But but the fact that the stool wasn't quite in the right spot might have been what led to that right. kind of weird yeah. situation. Yep. So it makes a little bit more sense now that now that I see kind of the the little minutiae, nobody nobody would notice this. And it was pointed out to me, like 99.9% of people aren't going to notice that. I'm certainly in that bigger group than the smaller group. But now, you know, that I've been made aware of it, that's something interesting to, to consider there. Uh, so the one thing you definitely have to give praise to, even if you disagree with Herb Dean letting the fight go, is that he deliberately calls in the doctor. He asked the doctor to stand there with him and watch Sabazian in the corner as he's getting instructions, getting, you know, taken care of by his corner and letting the corner do their job before jumping in and saying, let's investigate. Let's let's examine this guy. Let him get there, but pay attention closely to what's happening. And that was really great because you can hear Herb Dean saying that. Yeah, I mean, Herb Dean's not a doctor. That's what the physician's there for, you know. Get get an expert's recommendation. You know what's this fighter's health like, and I'll go from there. Yeah, and, and honestly, it makes a lot of sense that because he was able to get up and stand up, and it was the very end of the round. Even if I'm looking at Shabazian and saying, "Okay, I think he was out at the very end of round two, which I I still kind of think he was. Herb Dean had a better angle. He's able to look directly into Shabazian's eyes, so you know you have to defer to him on that. But more importantly, yes, he did have one full minute to be able to get ready for the next round. And if he's not able to answer that bell, like you mentioned, yeah, I mean, you got to stop it. And I think he probably would have. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, so, of course, Shabazzian comes out, 
And Herm Dean says, okay, let's have the doctor look. So the doctor's looking at him. And the doctor is asking him questions. And as you can see, Shabazian is looking down most of the time. The body language doesn't seem to be the most confident, the most there. But every time there is an actual question that requires something uh, answered back, Shabazian looks up, looks at the doctor, and he answers the question. So it's not necessarily that he's not there or doesn't want to continue entirely. You know, you could argue that maybe there was a mixed feeling there, but he's doing everything to satisfy the doctor. Uh, so I can't fault the doctor there either. Uh, and then so as we see, fight goes on. Herb Dean puts him on a really short leash because about 15 seconds in, Brunson lands and he swarms. And within 10 seconds, 26 in the round overall, it's over. Yeah, that, that was a really good stoppage from that point. It was, it was. When you when you look at everything on the whole, it definitely looks a lot better as far as the way Herb Dean handled it. I kind of was talked off the ledge a little bit. Not that I thought it was awful, but I definitely was more negative on it originally than 24 hours later. Yeah, I think if you wanted to get on anybody for not stopping the fight, it, it would be the corner. That's who you should I put the blame on. I think Herb Dean saw what he needed to see. Uh, for to allow the fight to continue. Yeah, and you know what? I do put it on the corner. I actually do. I don't think that Edmund Terverdian and his cornerman should have trotted Edmund Shabazian back out there for round three. He's 22 years old. The kid's definitely not in good shape, either mentally or physically. And I, when I say mentally, I mean the kid just looked dispirited, even if you didn't think he was out. He just didn't look like he had the same fight in him anymore. And it showed. I mean, he gets out there. And the first time he's hit, he's done. I mean, you know, hindsight being what it is. But even at the time, I think most people were not maybe not even most people, but there were certainly people watching this fight, commentating on this fight, saying the same thing. So it kind of adds up. Yeah. You know what? You make a good point. I think the coroner's job is to understand the more uh, in-depth reasonings for not allowing someone to continue. Like they're 22 years old. They don't need to be taking this much punishment this early in their career. I don't think the referee ever considers that. I think they treat each fight as equal as possible, each fighter as equal as possible, and none of the future or the past really play a role. Sure, I think you're right to a degree. It's not the referee's job to save the fighter from future damage. It's the referee's job to save the fighter from the damage that is happening now because of the compromised situation, you know, and, and, and you're right in that respect. The corner they have a responsibility. We've talked about this before. We've seen quite a few times in the last few months about situations where it would have been nice if the corner maybe stepped in and did something. Was Shabazian really in deep trouble, career-changing trouble? I don't know. It's hard to say. We've seen worse situations. It's not like he was, you know, had an eye hanging out or was losing teeth as we saw earlier this year. Oh, yeah. But he's 22. Just, just let him take the L. He doesn't need unnecessary punishment. And this, of course, it comes from Edmund Terverdian, who has a rep. You know, we all understand that this guy is not the most revered coach in mixed martial arts. You know, he is where he is because he had Ronda Rousey show up at his door. Yeah, if, if I'm Shabazi and I'm, I'm looking in to get into one of the, you know, the high profile camps, I don't know if he's going to do that, but I think that's what he needs. I would hope he would, but, you know, he's been there since he was a kid. You know, he, he's probably known Edmund for a very long time, trusts him. You know, I, they kind of have the Armenian connection there, too. I'm, I'm sure there's a comfort level in that. You know, I can't speak to it, but I can understand if that's the case. Uh, you know, it's going to be up to him to decide that. I don't know if he's going to or not. I don't I wouldn't sit here and say that 
Edmund Terverdian is the reason that Edmund Shabazian lost. I don't want to say that. No, I'm not. But, I'm not saying that either. Yeah, I don't think you are. Uh, but you have to worry about the pattern we've seen from these fighters coming out of this camp. Exactly. They dominate until the real competition steps up, and then yeah. once they, you know, the stronger top ten ranked opponents, they start giving them trouble. And we've seen it with the past. These big camps are the guys that actually turn out champs. Yeah, you end up finding that these real camps in in MMA, with exceptions, they're the ones who are the most organized. Iron sharpens iron, you know. I mean, we all we all hear the the saying, but it, it really is there. It means something. I think for someone like Shabazian, if he would go somewhere, I think it would just be great and do wonders for him because he the ceiling is very high for this kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely future champ material. Yeah, whether he gets there or not, even if he changes camps is, you know, that's up for debate. But he's he really does seem like he's got kind of the tools for that. I hope he recovers well from this, no matter what. You know, I, I didn't like that he took extra damage, in my opinion, but it's not the worst thing, I guess. You know, it's not a perfect stoppage, but it's defensible. Uh, not the greatest display of corner looking out for their fighter, but not the worst we've seen in recent memory. So it is what it is, right? It is what it is. But that's enough for the main event. You know, we, we don't have too much more to say from this event here, but we did have one round for the 10-8 watch. It was round three of Bobby Green over Lando Venata. Clear unanimous decision. Nobody strayed from Bobby Green getting all three rounds, but Junichiro Camillo gave round three a 10-8 opposite of Mike Bell and Derek Cleary. What about you? What'd you do? No, nah, I thought it was a 10-9. I thought 10-8 was a bit of a stretch. Same. Sam, I, I thought Venata, he, you know, he was kind of competitive a little later in the round two, which really helped his case mm-hmm. to avoid getting 10 aided. I mean, but it, it didn't really matter in, in the, the grand scheme of things. I... It definitely didn't. I mean, anything in round three of a fight where the first two rounds already went one way, it doesn't change a whole lot. So, but, you know, I also don't have a huge problem with Camillo going 10 8 there. I, I flirted with it too. I kind of considered it, but ultimately I just didn't go there. Yeah. I mean, well, this fight was just fun. From start to finish, just two guys ha- hanging their hands at their waist and just smacking each other in the face. <laughs> then no one, no one <laughs> wanted to keep their hands up. Well, this was a rematch. The first one was fun too. Yeah. So I mean, three years ago, it's great, great matchmaking. You know, you put two guys who don't keep their hands up, who just love to strike, and you're gonna have you know fight of the night most of the time. This should be a triennial tradition where they fight every three years. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Just, just to, just for our fun, just to see where they're at. It should be like, kind of like a gauge of of what fun MMA looks like in in every three year cycles. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, just keep doing it every three years. I like it. What about uh, some other fun? You know, we had four finishes and eight fights. What was your favorite? Uh probably no shock here. The the one sub on the card. Yeah, always a sub for you, sir. Maya arm barring uh, Joanne Calderwood. Yeah, yes. Jennifer Maya in the upset, slight upset. Yeah, I mean she was setting that submission attack up for like three whole minutes and Calderwood <laughs> just never you know, addressed it. And she's someone who who is not unfamiliar with submissions. She's a striker, but she she has some grappling uh, acumen as well. So it's a little surprising. Like, I mean, it, she just let Maya work from the bottom until she secured an arm. And it, it was yeah. really weird uh, to see that happen in a fight. But that go, that was my favorite. What about you? All right. For me, it was uh, Vicente Luque. He gets that that knee. And it was it was such oh, a low yeah. key knockout. It, like it was the most low key thing. Right. Because it. It kind of just happened at the cage. They're just clinched up, and all of a sudden, there's this knee that comes out, and all of a sudden, Brown's out. <laughs> yeah, he just done. was. He was just a, a statue at that point, in in a strange position. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so, you know, Luke, 
he was controlling most of this fight, of course. Uh, and then Brown starts getting some traction in kind of the latter half of the second round where the stoppage happened. Luke, they get into this position at the cage and Luke just basically, you know, mans him up off the ground so that he can't do the, uh, the, the hands on the mat game. Right. And avoid the knees. And he just eats a massive knee to the face. Yeah, that was a really good knee. I mean, Luca is so good. I have trouble. He's so good. I have trouble, you know, fathoming he has seven losses on his record. You know, granted, most of them were well before he was in the UFC. And the ones that he has are pretty respectable losses, too, in the UFC. And it's just strange to see someone so good with that many losses. I mean, I guess he learns from them, so. He's a bad man. He's a bad, bad man. Yeah, so that he, I always love when he's on the card. I hope he fights a few more times. That was fun to talk about, but before we wrap up the show here, we didn't really have as much to break down, of course, because of the impeccable judging, but we have a show for you guys, right? So we figured that this time we would re-examine one of Saturday's fights for past judgment. So it's kind of a rapid fire past judgment. This is the segment in which we apply our couchside judges scoring system to see how it affects the result. For this one, we thought the unanimous draw between Chris Gutierrez and Cody Durden would be perfect, and I think you'll see why. Before we break that one down, though, Dan's going to remind you how our system works. Yep. Once again, we use a modified version of the ABC's criteria, which is used by most commissions. We just have a few key differences. Like certified judges, we evaluate the rounds using 3Ds, damage, dominance, and duration, in that order. We've made it so a strong 10-9 round you know, would be scored a 10-8, while a traditional 10-8 round becomes a 10-7. Closer rounds would still just be 10-9s, even if only by a small margin. This really allows for more diverse scores in the hope of accurately reflecting what happened in a fight. We also got rid of aggressiveness and area control as tiebreakers, but these really aren't intended to be used very often anyway, and we can only give 10-10s in largely uneventful rounds. Normally, Scott would set the stage here, but today we just are going to dive right into round one. I'll just add first that the judges here were Derek Cleary, Sal Diamato, and Dave Hagen. So what happened in round one, Scott? Yeah, so this was a Durden round through and through, you know, within the first minute. He's got a takedown, and he's on top in uh, in Gutierrez's guard, but he very quickly moves to take the back. In this, in this round, Durden landed almost 60 strikes compared to Gutierrez's three. So a very, very lopsided numbers game. Most of these punches from Durden, they're not the most impactful. It's a lot of while he's on the back, he's, you know, he's landing here and there, peppering uh, the head. But they count, and, and they were definitely consistent through there, especially because he had the back. The one thing that I think stands out from a damage standpoint, though, is not as much the punches, but when he goes for that that kind of that face crank, I mean, that hurts. It's, yeah, it's not necessarily it a submission where you're going to get a tap, but that does hurt. It definitely hurts. I I mean, at world-class level, you, if you get a tap from that, maybe, maybe the guy really isn't world-class. And that's why I count it more as damage than like a near-finish sub. You know what I mean? Okay. You know, because it, yeah, it still counts. It's still an attack. Yeah, I. you know what? I didn't think... The damage was all that high to a degree. I thought the only punches that were really damaging when Gutierrez decides to roll over on his stomach. Yes. And he, uh, he eats like three punches. I thought those were the most uh, impactful those strikes really of the round. Those were really good shots. Yeah, they were probably like the only like, two, or good, two or three good shots that we saw in that round. Yeah, but I mean, it regardless of the damage, the dominance and duration was certainly there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, at that point you got two Ds, which is when you start uh, considering 10-8s. And, I mean, this was just such a, a large margin victory in this round. A lot due to because Gutierrez seemed to be just holding on, hoping for the round to end. Yes, he did. He wasn't really fighting anything out of it. Although, in the last few seconds, he did finally get out of that position because Durden tried to move. 
and he kind of got on top and started to attack, but it, nothing really happened. It was it was so late in the round, it didn't matter. Yeah, this was. Uh, I I thought this was definitely a ten eight by ABC in our system. Yeah. Oh, I'm saying in our system, I thought it was a ten eight, but in ABC, I, I also gave it a ten eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, for me, I gave it a ten eight originally. You also gave it a ten eight originally, right? Though, as you said, but I still felt like I could translate my ten eight in the ABC scoring into a 10-7 in our scoring because you have the dominance, you have the duration like we talked about. And I think the damage was there. I, I do, especially again because of this face crank and, and the fact that there were 60 punches landed. Some really good ones too. I think that's a lot. Yeah, it is definitely Especially a when lot. the disparity there because you only had, it's, we're talking about total strike 60 to like, only, I think it was 57 to 3. Right. I You know it's, what? I, ha I can't fight you. I don't mind you going 10-7. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's wrong. I think that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. I just, you know what? I For me to go to 10-7, I wanted to just see a little bit more damage uh, and, you know, maybe some more strikes that work towards actually finishing the fight. And I think at that point, I would have definitely said, all right, you know, that's a 10-7. That's fair. I, I can see this being sort of borderline in our system. Obviously, I went one way, you went the other. But I think it's a case where if our system was actually in practice, you'd probably see a, a, like a mixed bag. Some people would go 10-8, some would go 10-7. And, and most people go home at home and be like, all right, yeah, I can see how that would be mixed. Yeah, definitely. But let's move on to round two. Yeah, round two. At this point, the judge is working that night. They had all given the 10-8, so you have to wonder if they'd go 10-8, 10-7 in that round. But round two, this is Gutierrez. So Gutierrez takes over with those kicks that he's known for. No surprise because he got that leg kick TKO about two months ago. Right yep. at the beginning of the UFC Apex events. Yep. Uh, and he was definitely winning the stand-up, you know, but I wouldn't say it was by a large margin at this point. But then the fight gets down. He attacks with a good arm bar. I thought that arm bar was, was very tight. I, I thought that was yes. the tipping point for me uh, in our system to score at 10-8. Yeah, I think so too. I think it was probably more of a 10-9 for Gutierrez until the arm attack. That definitely changed the game. It was well defended. You have to give credit to Durden there. I think he defended it pretty well. Yeah, but, but that, that's all he it's had. There. Was it, defense, it's it's yeah. still there. Yeah, I mean, you don't get points for defense. Absolutely not. Yeah, I ended up going for a 10-8 Gutierrez as well here. So you're looking at a tied fight because you gave 10-8s in each round. Correct. Whereas I have it still 18-17 to 17, Durden. And of course, all the judges, they had given this round to Gutierrez. So it's also down a point on their cards as well. Right, and I'm 18-18. I'm you are 18-18. Round three, though, what happened here? Round three is where Gutierrez' uh, advantage in the striking really shined. He got, yeah. got two knockdowns, and uh, he was really know, taking over. I don't over. know they were quite not One of them kind of seemed to be a knee that landed as Durden was a little off balance. Oh, I, don't, I, I thought it was a pretty solid one. I thought it was a solid one, but I think he would have fallen kind of even if it wasn't okay. so solid. They came from awkward positions because the one was off a, like a takedown uh and he ate a right to the face and just drops yeah that was the first one and the second one was that knee mm -hmm. so but i you yeah, know no, i scored those pretty without high. question though i get you yeah this was obviously his round striking yeah so i mean i scored those pretty high and that's how i came to round three another 10-8 for gutierrez yeah and he was ripping the body too you know he, he was landing kind of in all zones but there was really good body work great kicks of course good punches upstairs and yeah i also went 10-8 here you know i think he got the dominance and he got the damage oh yeah so this is a 10-8 for both of us here for gutierrez and as it stands here what would have been a draw because all three judges gave 10-9 gutierrez here for the second round in a row 
to get their 28 all. In our system, both Dan and I gave the win to Gutierrez. Yeah, my final score would have been 28-26 for Gutierrez. And I would have been 27-26. So it really doesn't change between Dan and I who wins, but we do get a clear winner here in Gutierrez. And I like that. Not necessarily because this fight couldn't have been a draw in the ABC system. This was a draw. No one's arguing that. Oh, no, absolutely not. The 100%, the way fights are scored officially, these this is a draw. But for our system, for our criteria, the way we use it in our CSJ system, I think it was really nice that we were able to get a winner decided here. Because sometimes I think it can be easy to look at our system and say, well, it can open it up to more draws. Here we have an example where it's taking away a draw and finding a clear winner that I don't think anybody would have been too upset about if Gutierrez had actually earned the victory. No, certainly some people definitely thought he did. They did. Some people only went 10-9 in round one. I, I disagree with them. And then you had some people who were saying every round should have been a 10-8. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really buy that uh, in, in the ABC system. That's because they were using our system. They Obviously, they were using our system. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's more popular than we thought. <laughs> and that sound means it's time for us to tap out. Thanks for checking out the Couchside Judges. We'll be back again Friday to look ahead to the Derek Lewis, Alexi Olenek card from UFC Apex. We might do more past judgment or even have something else in store. Stay tuned. Be sure to subscribe to our show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Scott underscore Fontana. DMs are open to hit me up with any feedback. Follow me on Twitter as well at Dan Urban MMA. As always, thanks for listening. Have a great week. See you Friday. Later, guys. Later, guys.